You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast. I'm Jake, and um, I only have $62 in my checking account. God damn it. That was mine. <laughs> uh, I'm David, and as usual, Jake stole everything good he has from me. You know what that makes you, David? The what? lowest common denominator. Oh, I hate you so much right now. As you should. Before we get into episode three, we need to look back in episode two in our community segment. So every week we put up a poll on Twitter to see if the internet agrees with us or disagrees with us on who the shittiest kid was and who the least shitty kid was. Do you remember, now that we're recording this for the second time, who you voted for as shittiest kid, David? Uh, yeah, no, I definitely voted for Malcolm, right? God damn it, David. <laughs> no, of course, I picked Reese. Yes, you picked Reese because he was mean to Dewey and beat up a freak. And I picked Francis for uh, emotionally manipulating his brothers. Yeah, and... but I mean, it was for a good reason. And the internet agreed with me. <laughs> they also voted Francis as shitty as Skip. The internet's wrong. Have you been on the internet? No, never heard of it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and we had the opposite vote for our best kid. So you chose Francis for best. You chose, yeah, you chose Francis for best kid. I confuse myself. Way to go. I chose Reese for best kid. Correct. Uh, yes, I chose Francis because he was trying to do the right thing, trying to come home. And overall, for a kid that age, especially a troubled one, he did a good job. But once again, the internet and its infinite wisdom has agreed with me. They also chose Reese as the best son. Wrong again. We, we also have a clarification for last week because David gave some uh, bad information. I feel like I said I wasn't sure if you I did. was right. You did. All right. <laughs> David called the bathroom attendant a maitre d', so I looked it up, and in fact, a bathroom attendant is not a maitre d'. A maitre d' is a dining room attendant, not that's, a bathroom that's attendant. That's pretty close. Like, no wonder I got it confused. Yeah, they just, they just work in different rooms. But, yeah. but one is a much more high-class job because really? of their, uh, you know, vicinity to excrement, yeah. I feel like, is yeah. the, the determining factor. Oh, see, I figured you were going to say that the bathroom guy was a higher class because, you know, it's close to all that classy shit going on. Ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but, but do you know what the French for a bathroom attendant is, David? I sure the hell don't. It's a maitre p. Dude, you delivered that even cheesier the second time. That's so bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, I really wish just for that one, like, moment that we were doing video for this podcast because you made a face that was cheesier than the joke you told. It's even funnier the second time, David. It's not. <laughs> so if you would like to vote in these polls, they're up on Twitter where we are uh, at unfair underscore podcast. And you can also reach us uh, by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments, uh, if we miss anything or get anything wrong, like calling a bathroom attendant the maitre d', wow. then uh, you can let us know. And with that, let's get to the actual episode. So today we watched episode three, season one. I wrote that down wrong. Uh, Home Alone 4. I don't want to know what you wrote. <laughs> wrote down home alone for and it really confused me for a second i bet i noticed i saw the pause <laughs> also home alone yeah jesus that's uh, my new post malone cover band <laughs> ah i see it originally aired january 23rd 2000 it was directed by todd holland who also directed the pilot and who is one of the most ubiquitous directors for malcolm in the middle Ooh, what a big word thanks I was in advanced classes. Ooh. 
<laughs> Were you a cowboy? I was. And it was written by Michael Glaberman and Andrew Orenstein. Yes, David? You look confused. No, I'm angry uh, because my IMDb app is freaking out. And I'm getting incorrect information on this episode consistently. <laughs> like, <laughs> information... I'm no, you know, TV buff or anything. And I don't know actors' names for shit. But uh, I know when some of the major ones are wrong. <laughs> like, for instance... It is not showing me Brian Cranston as Hal. It has some name I don't recognize, but it is definitely Brian Cranston. Yeah, I feel fairly certain that he wasn't replaced in this episode. Same. I need to re-download this app <laughs> and just start using it in my browser. Fair enough. Before we get into the full episode, we have the cold open, which I forgot what that was called for a second. <laughs> wow, Jake. Uh, but the cold open for this episode is the family sitting at the dinner table. It starts with Dewey explaining how he thinks babies are made. Kind of. You don't get the full explanation. I would have loved to have heard the full explanation. But it ends with bubbles. Yes. Yeah, it comes in like halfway through his explanation. Then uh, it moves from that. Malcolm explains that once every 17.4 meals, the family has a good meal together. And this is one of them. And then things take a turn when Reese pretends to catapult his mashed potatoes at Lois, and she stares at him and tells him, don't do it, to which he replies, I wasn't going to, and it turns into a standoff. That seems to end when Hal takes <laughs> takes action and launches his own mashed potatoes at Lois, which uh, he manages to kind of kind of sell as being him being spontaneous and charming. Not just mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes and peas. True. Yes. See, he mixed everything together. After making a pea angel. Yes. Which is, to, to reiterate, the vegetable peas, not urine. Yeah, but I mean. But uh, everyone laughs after Hal, you know, sells it off. But then it immediately goes back to Lois turning to Reese and telling him, don't do it. And the standoff just resumes from where it left off. And then Malcolm turns to camera and says, this is one of the good meals. Yeah, I, I love that because, like, it, it seems almost like, oh, this isn't one of the good meals. But nope, Malcolm confirms, this is a good one. Yeah, uh, and a little piece of trivia about this cold open. In syndication, this was on was never shown. It was only shown in the original episode. Uh, I assume so that they could cut it down for time because it's longer than the average cold open for the show. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, they use a cold open that we haven't got to yet in its place. But with that, we can go to the episode proper. Like the last episode, it's divided between an A plot and a B plot. I think we should cover the B plot first. Agreed. Just because the A plot has a really good ending, and I feel like we should end on it. Fair. The B plot in this one is very obviously the B plot, too. Yes. It's not like with uh, the previous episode where they kind of feel like they're running concurrent and have the same amount of screen time. This A and B very clearly have differing levels of uh, attention to detail and things paid to them. Yeah, absolutely. So the B-plot follows Hal and Lois as they go to a wedding for one of Hal's relatives. I don't think they say in the episode it how is, they're related. It is not specified. Uh, it is more focused on the fact that Hal's family hates Lois. Yes. And Lois knows it. Yes, this, this is our first interaction with Hal's family, but it is a recurring thing that they hate Lois and that Hal's family is much more uh, well-off and kind of snooty. Yes, very pretentious-seeming. 
So, so we get our first inklings of that in this episode. But again, not very much because it's the B-plot and it doesn't get explored too much. I, I do like the way that they are able to portray just real quickly the groom's distaste for Lois because she's attempting to talk to him and catch up and ask him, oh, how long has it been since we've seen each other? And then he excuses himself from the conversation and literally walks across the room to stand by a vacant chair and pillar and just stand there waiting for other people to come up and talk to him. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the implication, but I can relate to that. Look, it's still rude, Jake. Just because you do it doesn't make it less rude. True, (laughs) but I I wouldn't be discriminatory about it. Right, but there's definitely the feeling that this is very specifically for them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's what they're trying to establish. But I, I, it doesn't quite work for me because I'm like, yeah, that's what I would do. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to talk to people. You feel that people are horrible and you hate groups of people. Yeah. We know. But you see, when it's your wedding, there is this uh, expectation that's put on you that you speak to every person that attends, whether you can't stand them or not. Trust me, been there, done that. It's a horrible <laughs> experience. I just won't get married then. Problem yeah. solved. Fair enough. Uh, but on the plus side, when you do get married, you can force certain cousins to make speeches even if they don't want to yeah fuck you <laughs> but we, we have skipped over the beginning of the b plot which is hal and lois driving to the wedding it technically starts with packing which is uh, important in the a plot true that, that's why well, i have it listed under the b plot or yeah. the a plot rather. fair enough but as they're driving to the wedding a uh, couple things one lois is shaving her legs while they are driving down the road Uh, With full shaving cream. Yep. It looks like what she's using, by the way, is... uh, My dad used to have one of those Old Spice traditional, like, shaving cream cups where you had to actually dip the water in the brush and and froth it up to get the cream out of it. It looks like she's using that to shave. Okay. A hundred percent. Maybe. I don't know. And while this is happening, it's worth noting that Afternoon Delight is playing in the background on the radio. It is. And Hal turns to Lois and asks if she's trying to seduce him, which is one of my favorite lines in the show. It's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, then they talk about how Hal's family hates Lois, and Hal's trying to sort of spin it as, well, at least, you know, we'll have some time away from the kids and all of that. And Lois says she'll be happy to not have to yell at someone every five minutes, then proceeds to turn and yell at a fellow driver for going too slow. It is specifically every 20 seconds. Okay. You, you took more precise notes on that than I did. <laughs> yeah, because I tried to count. I, I had every intention to count how long uh, she had screen time before she screamed at somebody. It was less than 20 seconds, by the way. Okay. Uh, and Hal's response to her yelling at the driver is, that guy had it coming. <laughs> totally deserved so, it. There we go. Uh, but that then leads into the scene that uh, we already talked about with the groom snubbing Lois. And um, the next time we see them, the service has started. Hal is worried that it's going to be a long service. And Lois reveals that she has discovered a nickname given to her by Hal's family. And that nickname is Lois Common Denominator. Uh, such a witty nickname. It is, it is pretty good. I like it. And Hal gives her a little sort of pep talk speech about how they don't understand her uh, but he does and he likes it that way yeah and then he calls her his secret little treasure and that is i think a very insightful quick look into their relationship and i thought that that was a sweet little moment yeah it's very sweet and then they start making out very 
very passionately. Yes, uh, passionately and loudly enough that they interrupt the entire service. Everyone turns and stares at them as they make out, essentially on top of the person sitting next to them. Yeah, it starts in both of their seats, but it ends in someone else's. Uh, then we only have one more scene for the B-plot. It is the bride and groom coming out of the wedding, all happy, everyone cheering them on as they go towards their limo. They open the door and find Hal and Lois having sex in the back of the limo. Yes, all you see, it's done very tastefully because you see the door open and you hear Acapado and then he, you see Hal's arm reach out to grab the door and pull it shut. And the onlookers go from faces of delight and happiness to shocked grimaces of horror, which I feel is appropriate. I've seen Hal mostly naked. How dare you? He's beautiful. Well, yeah, but also that on top of Lois, mm, that looks like a horror film, Jake. That's the night the werewolf attacked. Yeah, so judgmental. (laughs) Not judgmental, just accurate. You could be both. Look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that's what it had to have looked like. But that wraps up the (laughs) B-plot. The A-plot, which is fairly interconnected with the B-plot, centers around Francis being home for the week from military school. Yay. Yay. (laughs) As David was saying, the packing for the trip for the B-plot sort of ties in with the A-plot because Malcolm overhears them as they're packing, talking about the potential to let Francis come home from military school uh, if he does a good job watching the other boys while they're at the wedding, which is sort of the driving force for the A-plot the rest of the episode. So Malcolm gets Reese and Dewey on board to try to have a boring, uneventful day while they're being watched so that Francis can come home, but they don't tell Francis about it because they know that he reacts poorly when he's told what to do, which we get a flashback to demonstrate this, in which Lois tells him if he gets a nose piercing, he will be sent to military school, and then it cuts to Francis coming home with, like, a bunch of nose rings. Uh, I think I counted four, maybe five. I think it's five. It might be five. Because he has a stud in the left nostril, then he has, like, one of the ring thingies in the center, and then I think he has three on his right no- three rings on his right nostril. Yeah, something like that. Might be. It's four or five. I think it's five. It's a lot it, of it, nose but it, it, It's a lot. <laughs> but uh, initially, Malcolm's plan works. They convince Francis that they don't want to do anything. They just want to stay home and watch TV. Specifically, they watch golf on TV, which is the only thing worse than not watching TV. According to Malcolm. I mean, that adds up. I agree. I mean, golf on TV is pretty bad. Yeah, but things take a turn when Francis gets a call from his pal, Richie. And new character alert, because Richie will be a recurring character in the series. And he is played by Todd. I should have looked up how to pronounce this. Gibbonhain? Nice. <laughs> uh, I cannot pronounce it any better than you. Uh, I've only ever seen it once, so sure, Gibbonhain. Did he look familiar to you, David? He did, and I cannot figure out from where, which is another thing I was searching on IMDb for when my app went crazy. Uh, and then I got distracted by a whole nother thing that you saw. Uh, before we started recording this, I don't know where this dude is from, but it's really annoying. Well, he is in a show that we have mentioned in this podcast before, comparing it to Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, he plays Frank in Raising Hope. Ah, okay. That, yep. All right. Francis's friends show up. Richie, Circus, and the other one. 
<laughs> wow. I don't actually, in this episode, they don't give the other guy a name. I don't remember if he gets a name later or not. Uh, Frankie's the main one with, I think, Circus. That Like, this is the closest to having, like, a big role Circus has. But he's memorable because his name is Circus. Also, the uh, comment after the destruction, which is coming up soon, is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, because he's watching the kids and Malcolm is concerned, Francis agrees to let them come over, but they're not going to throw a party. Then it cuts to their house being destroyed. The implication being that they did throw a party. But then Francis says, uh, it's hard to imagine three guys can do this much damage. And it uh, pans over to show Francis's friends being put in the back of a cop car. Ah, see, I don't think you do that scene justice. Because I think they did that way better. It's, it's less even just being put in the back of the cop car. It pans over to a window where the three of them are sitting in the back seat of a car, you can tell at first. You can't really tell it's a cop car until they wave, saying goodbye to Francis and we'll see you next time you're in town, and they're wearing handcuffs, and then it zooms out just enough that you see the officers and the lights on top as they drive away. Okay, well, I will say this is one of the episodes of this show that I've seen, like, a million times, so for me it was immediately that that they're in the cop car. Fair. Well, I have not seen this. I've never seen this episode before. And I, I love that transition because there's so much, like, you can really tell in, uh, like, this episode and the pilot, there is so much storytelling and just, like, little clues that are left and a lot of assumptions that they're trying to lead the audience to. And then they're, they're like, nope, wait, you were wrong. It's this shitty thing instead. Fair enough. So after Francis' friends are uh, taken off to jail, presumably, never to be seen again, obviously, Malcolm finally tells Francis that they need to get everything cleaned up because if he does a good enough job, he might be able to come back from military school. And they manage to convince him that this is true after some initial hesitance. It's too arbitrary. It's mom. You're right, we've got to clean. We get a montage, which, uh, as it's going, the music that is played, it's worth noting, is Tell My Head Falls Off by They Might Be Giants, who, uh, of course, also do the intro. They are a recurring musical uh, presence in this show. Yeah, which is great, because I love They Might Be Giants. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, uh, so they get the house cleaned up, and then after the montage ends, and they, you know, look around the house, and they're talking about how good they did, they realize that they've actually done too good of a job, and it'll seem suspicious if the house is perfectly clean when their parents get back. So they go into a second montage of them re-dirtying the house uh, to the same music. The highlight of that montage, for me, being uh, them holding Dewey up while he runs across the wall with something on his shoes. Like, pudding? Or paint or something. It's like a goldish, brownish, gooey substance. Yeah. It was very strange. Yes, it was. But yes, I, I have to agree that that is probably my favorite part of that, too, for that section of the montage. And the just the use of Dewey... And the, the zooming in and then out to show him walking sideways as they hold him up on the wall. I, I love that shot. Not to mention just the, what in the fuck is that? Yeah, after the montage, they feel like they have everything perfect and as it should be. But Malcolm wants to add 
one last detail. <laughs> but as he is, he knocks a shelf down on top of himself and gives himself a head wound that we never see, but the other character's reaction makes it sound uh, very bad. At one point, they ask, is that white stuff blood? Or blood. Jesus, David. Uh, is that white stuff bone? Yes, that, that's Reese's response, and Dewey just screams, put his face back on. Yep. <laughs> Uh, which was phenomenal. So, they decide that they have to take Malcolm to the hospital to get stitches, uh, but they don't want their parents to know that they used the car, so Francis drives backwards to the hospital. And when they get there, the nurse immediately recognizes them, and it's worth noting, because she is a frequent actress on another show that we have compared Malcolm Middle to in this podcast already, uh, she plays Laverne in Scrubs. Yep. I don't think I've seen her play anything but a nurse. Yeah, she's playing basically the exact same character here. 100%. But she's great at it. I'm fine with that. Yeah. This leads to a montage when Malcolm says, we're kind of regulars here, showing sort of the before of some horror stories that have brought them to the emergency room. So the first one is Reese hammering an aerosol can. Yeah. The second one is Francis balancing a knife on his finger and then throwing it up in the air and looking up. The next one, and the, the one that really bothers me on a visceral level, is it's just Malcolm looking down at scissors for some reason. Then you see Reese walking behind him with a smile on his face with a balloon and a pen. Then the last one, it starts as a zoom in of a bike tire spinning really fast. And then you see Dewey leaning in with his mouth open towards the tire. Presumably to bite the spinning tire and try to stop it with his teeth. Yes. Ugh. See, the scissor one bothers me less than that one. And maybe it's because I've had, like, my tooth shot with a, a airsoft gun. Just the thought of that much force being exerted onto your teeth and the pain. Ah, oh, God. Ah, uh, no. God, that would hurt so bad. It would. Still doesn't bother as much as the scissor one, though. Eh. <laughs> but after the montage, they are trying to figure out how they're going to pay for Malcolm's stitches, which cost $400 without their parents knowing about it and malcolm calls caroline his teacher which we left out a scene by the way we did leave out yeah so i, I didn't take any notes on it i did but you should have reminded me david well i'm sorry i got a little distracted way to go i count this as your failure no the structure thing is your job come on now <laughs> God, Jacob, if it was m me keeping track of structure, we'd be at the end, then we'd be back in the middle, we'd do some parts in the beginning. God, it'd be chaos. So, now for some chaos. Let's go <laughs> back to that original scene that we skipped. Oh my god. <laughs> Technically, the very first scene after the cold open. Yep. Do you remember what happened? Yeah, uh, so it's Malcolm in his class... He tries to leave at exactly 3 o'clock when the bell rings, but he gets stopped by his teacher, Caroline, who uh, wants to talk to him. And she basically presents herself as a, you know, emotional parental figure if he ever needs it. If he ever needs anything, he can call on her. Is there, there anything you wanted to add from that scene? Oh, definitely. You we'll notes. talk about it later. Ah. Stevie's great. Uh, is there perhaps an award for a Thane from <laughs> that scene? There is definitely because an award. Because I may have that kind of note on that scene. <laughs> there is definitely an award for that scene. 
and also, I do, I do want to say, they do a good job of portraying this teacher as super creepy. Yeah, I mean, any teacher who, like, goes by their first name amongst the students as automatically, like, gets creep points in my book. That's weird. Yeah, fair. And I get that because, you know, you're a teacher. It's no different for me. Anyone in my line of work that goes by their first name with my uh, clientele, super weird. Yeah, it's it's like, it's like not quite a red flag, but it's like a yellow flag. Yeah, no, it's a red flag for me. Yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> but with that uh, initial scene now covered, uh, we'll go back to the hospital. No, Jake, we're going to go back to the future. No. Okay. No, no. So <laughs> Malcolm calls on Carolyn to uh, come. He's cashing in his favor with her, essentially. So she shows up, uh, immediately assumes that it's his parents abusing him. Oh, God. So quickly. And it'll be okay. I know it'll be hard to turn on your parents, but I'll be with you the whole way. But when Malcolm explains what's actually going on, she... Tells him that she can't do that because she is a teacher and she only has $62 in her bank account. Hence Jake's uh, opening line that he stole from me. Yep. No, I didn't steal it from you. I got it from the episode. Yeah, but you stole it from me. Misappropriation. (laughs) But they decide that the method to take to convince her is the guilt trip. So (laughs) Francis leans down to Dewey, puts his hand on his back and starts explaining that he's going to have to go away again. Uh, And as he's doing this, he is, like, clawing Dewey's back to make him cry the entire time at, like, specific moments after Francis says something. And it works. She agrees to uh, pay the medical bill with a credit card, which when she goes looking for it in her purse, Reese pulls it out of his pocket (laughs) and says she dropped it. And then immediately distracts her by leading her to uh, the processing desk. Yes, it's very clear Reese had a plan B here. (laughs) Yes. That wraps up Thane's at the hospital. We go back to the house with Lois and Hal back from their trip, sort of inspecting the house, finding everything as it should be, the appropriate level of dirty. And then they realize uh, Malcolm is wearing a hat. Lois asks him what he's hiding underneath of it. And, for, and pulls it off of his head, revealing the head wound. And she is very nonplussed by it, doesn't seem bothered at all. Then she tells Francis that he, you know, did a good job. And that he did such a good job, it proves that military school's really working on turning him around. And they definitely made the right choice in sending him to military school. <laughs> yes. And you see a look of shocked confusion on Malcolm's face. Yes. And the episode ends with, as usual, Malcolm speaking to the camera, talking about how, you know, it didn't turn out the way they wanted. Francis is going to go back to military school, but he'll be back to visit in a few weeks, and at least they learn something. And then it zooms out to reveal that Malcolm and Dewey are laying side by side in front of a bicycle ramp that Reese is going to try to jump over them. Yeah. Ah, so good. (laughs) Yeah. This episode reminds me so much of our childhood. So much. So many moments in this. Yeah, there there is a line that was, I was considering for best line, but didn't end up making it. Uh, It really reminded me of my older brother, Willie. (laughs) Francis is talking about Richie, and he's uh, 
basically trying to say he's a good influence they can learn a lot from him because when he said he could break that cinder block with his head he didn't do it on the first try but he got it eventually <laughs> uh specifically it was six times and it was circus oh was it circus it was circus oh, okay. circus broke that cinder block with his head and i love the fact that he mentioned six times and yes i immediately had a flashback to that moment when willie was like i can break this with my head and he smashed the cinder block into his head and then it didn't break and then he hit it again and then on the third time he broke the cinder block over his head uh he did shockingly he doesn't remember this story yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so since we already talked a little bit about it i ended up going for my best line it comes from when francis is driving the car backwards to the hospital uh and it's huh a one-way street how's that work when you're going backwards (laughs) that was a good line uh and i did like that a lot that whole scene was pretty great also the fact that they wrapped the towel around malcolm's whole head instead of just you know the wounded portion and then cinched it tight with a belt uh the uh, lack of first aid really really quality stuff also uh i've had some wounds treated in similar manners that we didn't want people to find out about. I remember uh, one time, in fact, we were wrestling, and my head got shoved into ice, and I got a concussion, and uh, I was delirious, and my friends had to walk me home. They got me to go along with the story of I slipped and fell on the ice, and I didn't remember what actually happened for, like, three days. So, yeah, <laughs> real real 90s kid level stuff going on here you didn't have a proper childhood if you don't have one story that other people have told you that you go i don't remember that Uh, what what do you mean i got my head bashed open that never (laughs) happened oh god (laughs) if only it could take some of the other stories so uh what what did you have for your best line david my best line comes from your favorite character overall in this show stevie And because when Malcolm is called back, everyone does the stereotypical 90s sitcom, ooh, and then a few kids call him Teacher's Pet. And uh, Stevie then rolls up to him, and in his raspy, asthmatic voice, once again being used for humor, goes, Dear (sighs) Penthouse. And then Malcolm finishes it off by saying, I push my friend Stevie down a uh, flight of stairs. And I love that line. It just makes me laugh. It, it is a very good line. It was also in consideration for best line, but it ended up going to a different award for me because that gets my award for the OK Boomer Award. Ah. The award that we give to a line or detail that sets the uh, episode firmly within its release time. I had so many nominees for the OK Boomer Award out of this episode. Okay, I I had a few. Uh, But this is the one that I chose. Uh, Just because I feel like a kid today wouldn't know what that meant. A hundred percent. Because of the existence of internet porn. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Also, who's going to penthouse unless you're old school? Because it's all on the internet now and uh, it's not free. Okay. Kids today, I I assume. I don't know. know. (laughs) Kids today just... Google whatever they want to see. Yeah. You don't have to go and read weird stories. Exactly. What was your OK Boomer award that you decided to go with? Uh, so I actually, I decided to go with the bike ramp. I had a lot of things. And, and the reason I, I go with the bike ramp scene is because, one, I have never once since we were kids seen anything like that ever again. I definitely um, have. They're still around. Well, not the ramp itself. I mean kids jumping over 
each other and doing that kind of crazy shit like that. And to me, that's like the, that's like the 90s thing. I have a scar in the middle of my chest from when we made a bike ra uh, bike track and uh, someone decided that they were going to make the jump more intense and it didn't work out well. <laughs> in fact, that's the only time I've ever been knocked unconscious and I was out for like five minutes. I remember landing, getting the uh, bike handle shoved into my chest, and then losing consciousness and waking up, being unable to breathe, with my mom over top of me slapping me and screaming at me because I was unresponsive as she was coming over to me. That that scene just made me think of our childhood and 90s and just sort of that era so much more. The, the runner-up was the uh, the montages, just because, again, you don't see things done that way in a lot of modern sitcoms. You occasionally will see a, a sitcom do the montage, but I don't know. I watch a lot of TV now, thanks to you, and a lot of sitcoms, <laughs> and I, I you don't really see that. That's true. That was my runner-up, was the uh, specifically the cleaning the house and then dirtying the house montage. My runner-up was just that it only took $400 for Malcolm to get stitches in the emergency room. I wasn't going to touch that. Uh... <laughs> God, I win. Uh, so moving on to our next award, the Roller Skating King Award. The award that we give to the best visual moment in the episode, which I actually gave to that montage. The uh, montage of horrible ideas. <laughs> that was pretty great. Now wait, when you say montage of horrible ideas, are you talking about the, the ones where they're just getting hurt? Yeah. The stopping the bike tire with your teeth, the stabbing themselves in the eyeball with the scissors. Yeah. God, I don't know how Malcolm recovered from that. It's miraculous. That, that's the thing that I appreciate about the montage is that we don't get to see the exact results. We just know that it ended with them going to the emergency room. Right. Which makes you envision, I feel like, something much worse than anything they could actually show. Yeah, no, it's done in a really great way. Um, I, I will say... The montages in this are done, and I know some people think that that style's played out, whatever. It just, it lends itself really well to this style of storytelling. Throughout this whole episode, they're doing a lot of these subtle, leaving it to your imagination type of moments. And the montages do that really, really well. Which also kind of lends itself to my best visual moment. Because it's interesting because the first montage happens right at the end of my favorite visual moment uh and that's the party the implied party moment and specifically the scene that really sold me on it there's two but the the first one is wide angle shot that you see of francis and the boys standing in front of the house there is a chair on the roof there is a blanket on the roof there is a sofa in the yard a fridge in the yard a cooler in the yard as well as some other things that i just didn't catch it looks like a bomb went off, not a party. Yeah. But there is some implication of some serious destruction and just some tomfoolery. It is then further driven home as you walk into the house with the boys and there are just random old school Christmas bulb lights running in like a spider web formation through the kitchen that the boys have to duck under to get to the fridge which also by the way implies that the fridge in the front yard is not their fridge you see a lot of items that you saw outside so now you know that those are not theirs right um so just that whole moment is just sort of this 
wanton destruction, almost to the level of something you'd expect to see, like, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it, it really does. Like, that view of the outside of the house does kind of look like a post-apocalypse setting. And all the neighbors staring in horror as the cops drive away. Yeah. It is a nice touch. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and yeah, that was my best visual moment. Just just that whole scene, but especially that first wide-angle shot. It tells so much of the story without saying a word. Uh, it also occurs to me that this is the second Todd Holland episode, and I've chosen a montage for both of his. <laughs> so I, I, I have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, we're going to have to track that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's the montage guy. So on to the next award. Who did you have? For your shittiest son. Ah, well, this one was easy for me, Jacob. Reese. I also have Reese. Yes. Why did you choose Reese? Uh, I chose Reese for a couple reasons. One, the uh, balloon scissor event. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Also, the stealing of the credit card. Yep. (laughs) I didn't even need the stealing of the credit card. The balloon incident was 100% why I chose Reese. Oh, Reese. You lovable buffoon. You're going to be in prison one day. And on the flip side of that, who did you have as your least shitty son? So the least shitty son, a.k.a. semi-best son, right up until the hospital scene was Francis. Okay. Uh, I actually, like, I really liked Francis. Francis How... was in contention for me. And then he hurt Dewey. <laughs> I, that... I, I knew that you would bring that up. <laughs> I was half expecting him to be your shittiest kid because of that. That fucking monster. How could he? And then I remember he's related to Reese, and it makes sense. And the difference between Reese and Francis is after Francis does that, he promises Dewey when they get home, he can eat ice cream till he throws up. Exactly. Uh, so Francis was almost my least uh, shittiest son, but I had to give it to Malcolm because he really didn't do anything super shitty other than calling Connie's teacher out of money, which compared to the other two, Eh. I also went with Malcolm for my least shitty son. For once, we are in a complete agreement. Yeah, interesting. This uh, episode has uh, brought us together. No, yeah. it hasn't. If you're listening to this and you uh, disagree with our opinion, there will be a Twitter poll up. There sure will. That uh, you can vote on. Please do. So, the next award is for the best character. Who did you have as the best overall, or your, rather your favorite overall character? In the episode. Reese. Okay. For all the same reasons he's the shittiest son. I love the fact that he somehow magically pickpockets the teacher. The moment with the credit card was great. Like you said earlier, it is very clear he had a plan B. Yes. She was paying for it whether she knew it or not. The the smooth little charming way that he tries to just pass it off immediately. Walk her over to the counter. That was great also some of his antics in the montages and then again the freaking balloon and scissors scene which is horrible but also reminds me so much of the shitty things that we would do to each other as kids fair i did not have reese as my favorite character though i actually had francis that does not surprise so an important thing for this episode in particular of malcolm middle for me personally is This is the first time I had a crush on a male character in a show. (laughs) It's my second TV crush behind the Pink Ranger. Wow. And that person was Francis. Uh, Uh, He is a bit of a pretty boy. He is, which is 
kind of my type. This, especially when it comes to celebrities. Looking at you, no Patrick Harris. He's just very charming. I, I like that uh, he's like the, uh, a nice combination of like he's a shitty brother with like the clawing Dewey and stuff, but he's also kind of a good brother and you know taking care of Malcolm to the best of his ability. <laughs> yeah, he's a shitty person who wants to do good. Yeah, that's that's how they have him in this episode. Uh, and I also love that we get like we don't get a lot of it. We get to see Francis with his sort of loser friends. All that just makes this a really good Francis episode, in my opinion. It was. Uh, I I just like the sort of redemptive quality that it gives to to Francis. I think overall so far, for the first three episodes, Reese is now the official shittiest son, which is saying something, because Francis set things on fire. I mean, so is Hal, but you forgive him for that. Well, yeah, his was just, he was trying to relax, have a good day, fucking the kids were out of the way. I get it. It's stressful. I've been there. You deserve a cigar, Hal. So the uh, only award left is... What I have titled the A plot of your heart. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Jesus, Jacob. Uh, and the A plot of my heart is the actual A plot. Francis being home from military school and the boys trying to make things go well. Plot line. Uh, yeah, I have to say, again, we're in agreement on this one. The A plot was great. Not to say that the B plot's bad. No, that's really good. Uh, and it contains, you know, one of my favorite characters, Hal. But just that that whole arc, uh, all of the shitty things the boys do. I Again, I love that kitchen scene, because not only are you coming straight out of the implied party that wasn't a party, the disaster in the kitchen, and the uh, mom is never going to decide my future by something so arbitrary without talking to me. It's It's stupid. It's arbitrary. And Malcolm goes, it's mom. And the look of horror on Francis's face as he realizes his little brother is right. And holy crap, we need to clean. Yep. Uh, Plus those two, those two montages really are, are what like firmly yeah. puts it over the other one for me. They're both just so fucking funny. And the, the re-spreading of the dirt from the vacuum. Yeah. Having Dewey walk on the walls, <laughs> crumbling up chips, putting the, the half-eaten pizza out of the trash can that you see him meticulously put in the trash can as he's cleaning the kitchen counters. Now they go back on the kitchen counter. It is also one of those things. It didn't happen too often because one of my sisters is like super clean freak. So like our house was always like immaculately clean if she had her way. There, there was a period after she moved out where I do remember a very similar incident where my other sister had thrown a party and conned the rest of us into helping her clean up. We, I remember specifically being told, but don't make it look too clean because that'll seem suspicious. <laughs> right, because kids don't do chores when mom and dad are away. Exactly. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, except my oldest sister. Yeah, well, <laughs> look, she does chores for fun. I've seen her house. Yes. So that's all of our awards. We do have a few pieces of trivia that I have that we didn't cover. The only one from the episode itself that we didn't cover uh, actually has to do with the title. I just wanted to point out that it does predate the actual Home Alone 4 movie uh, by like three years. So it, you know, worked as a sort of parody joke at the time. It kind of doesn't now. <laughs> 
Right, because there's actually a Home Alone 4. Right. <laughs> but I also have some trivia from the opening of the show, as I always will from the second episode on. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if I did on the first one. I did not. Uh, so anyways, the trivia for this one is the anime scenes, of which there are two in the opening, both come from the same anime. The first one is just a anime pretty boy smiling in the rain. Uh, the second one is a blonde kid skateboarding. They both come from the 1998 anime Nazca, which is apparently about ancient Inca warriors being reincarnated in modern Japan. Okay. I've never seen the show, so I can't say much else about it, but uh, apparently that is what both of those scenes are from. Crazy. If you liked this, then you can find our Twitter at unfair underscore podcast. You can also email us directly at lifeisunfair at gmail.com, or excuse me, lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Jeez, Jake, get it right. Sorry. Life is unfair was already taken. And if you would like to uh, watch us play video games while we talk about things that aren't Malcolm in the Middle, you can find us on Twitch or YouTube where we are Let's Play Death Ray. Uh, specifically, twitch.tv slash Let's Play Death Ray. Or, I'm sorry, LP Death Ray. See, now you've got me screwing it up. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair.